you are listening to Single Sirs. My name is Arno Martire, and I am your host. Single Serves is a podcast dealing with design, architecture, business, and city building in which I interview an expert on a specific subject matter. Together, we dive into that topic and challenge conventional thinking in a thought-provoking conversation. I sincerely hope that you will find these conversations as engaging as I did and learn a thing or two in the process. Don't forget to send us your comments, criticism, and praise. To do so, you can email us at hello at rvltr.studio or leave a comment online. You can also subscribe to the podcast on our website at rvltr.studio. Susie Ashfield comes from a strong creative background. As a communication specialist, she makes the most of her unique combination of acting skills and her director-level business experience. She focuses on coaching to control and optimize body language and nonverbal communication techniques, as well as enabling clients to structure content for effect and develop the kind of vocal strength needed to succeed. As a speaker and trainer, she runs high-energy workshops centered around powerful performance, from deal-making conversations to TEDx talks. Susie is a qualified associate certified coach with the International Coach Federation, and she specializes in stage fright and performance anxiety techniques. So thank you very much, Susie, for being on the show. It's a real treat to have you. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So can you tell us uh, who you are and what you do in your own words in three sentences or less? I'll try and make it as short as possible. I make people sound good, look good, and feel good about speaking publicly. Was that all right? I think that's one sentence. <laughs> I think that's the shortest answer I've ever gotten on that one. So you get points for that. I'm pleased. So can you tell us why um, are public speaking skills so important? I think it's fundamental to everything we do. A lot of my clients are brilliant people who have incredible ideas, but unless they're able to verbalize those ideas in a way that would make sense and be interesting to an eight-year-old child, they need to go back to the drawing board. It doesn't matter how good you are or what you've got going on, unless you can communicate in a way that really engages with your audience, you might as well not have anything at all. And it is a learnable skill and people can improve at it. So I think the answer to that is it is fundamental to everything. But then I would say that, wouldn't I? So how would those skills apply outside of strictly public speaking and how? Well, communication is everything we do. From the moment we're born, we're trying to communicate something, whether we're hungry, whether we're thirsty, whether we're tired. So we're doing it very much from day one. Why not be the best we can be at it? And it's really unusual. Rather, it surprises me that we get to this adult stage and we still feel anxious around it. And we still feel anxiety having to deliver in the best possible way in front of a large crowd of people. So stage fright and public speaking anxiety is something that's interesting to me. And it's a problem for a lot of my clients. In fact, it's a lot, big problem for a lot of people. So I'm, I'm trying to help people with that. It brings back to mind that old Seinfeld joke that I'm sure you know about um, number one fear of people, <laughs> people is public speaking before death. Yes. So statistically speaking, if you find yourself saying, I would rather die than do this presentation, you are back statistically. So, yes, I love that old Seinfeld joke. <laughs> um, so what does it take to be a good speaker? And I think the what I, the way I'd like you to answer that question a, a bit more specifically is what makes a good speaker? Hmm. That's a really good question. And I think the answer is changing. Back in the 80s and 90s, we needed our speakers to be seen as very powerful, very strong. 
totally without any kind of vulnerability. And now I think with leaders like Obama stepping into the light, leaders like Steve Jobs and Michelle Obama, we actually like authentic speakers. We like speakers who are willing to show emotion. We like speakers who are willing to talk about their feelings and show those vulnerabilities and perhaps wear their heart on their sleeve a little bit more. We like authenticity. We like organic speakers. Anything too polished, anything that seems too shiny like politicians feels a little bit disingenuous. We'd prefer public speakers to make a few mistakes, but talk with passion than to have somebody who doesn't skip a beat. And we can tell quite clearly they're following an auto cue and they don't miss a beat. So I think at the moment, what makes a good public speaker is someone who has confidence, but does not look totally confident, but is willing to express something that is personal in an authentic way. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. And in the course of uh, running this podcast and others, I've come to the conclusion that and it's not public. It is public speaking in a way, but not really uh, in front of an audience or not directly in front of an audience, at least. But I've come to the conclusion that the, the most interesting um, episodes are the ones where the conversation flows freely and where, like you said, people kind of express themselves like they would sitting at a bar over a drink uh, with, while being somewhat uh, intelligible and polished but not too polished and and not worry too much about the ahs and ums and repetitions and things like that what's your take on that yeah that's absolutely true and i call that the pint and a half effect and it's exactly what you're saying you find that when i've got these clients and they're very powerful people and they're asked to present the first thing they do is they stiffen up and they present themselves as this ultra polished ultra shiny totally credible professional they're completely dead behind the eyes and they they do not break eye contact and it's so boring we would rather have somebody down the pub with us about a pint and a half in. And at that point, you will find people naturally start to move their hands, start to smile, start to tell stories. They're perhaps a little bit more fumbly than they might be if they were on the auto cue, but they're so much more interesting to listen to. Mm -hmm. So it's a pint and a half. And I want to be clear, a pint and a half, not five pints and a half, <laughs> because that's a, a different direction that I'm definitely not endorsing. But I'm looking in my clients for them to be that relaxed, informal personable version of themselves and you're right when you're on a podcast tell some jokes give me some stories make it interesting and i'm yours if you give me the perfectly polished answer every single time it just feels a bit predictable so i'm all for getting it wrong making mistakes chucking in a few ums and ers and just letting whatever happens happen mm -hmm. uh, do i take it to to that you recommend your clients to drink a pint and a half before doing a presentation <laughs> Uh, certainly not on the record, no. <laughs> if I'm doing a wedding speech, the question I always get is, how much should I drink before I give this speech? And it depends, obviously, on body mass, but you need to be totally compass mentors, right? So yeah. that's very much dependent on the client. So what kind of uh, most common mistakes do you see when people speak publicly? I think the biggest one will be one we're all familiar with and certainly all guilty of. And it's this idea that because we've been asked to present, we feel like we're being tested. So we'll often be asked to do something and our immediate response is, I have to show everything I know about this chosen subject. I have to cram in as much information as I possibly can into my half hour speaking spot, spot to justify why I deserve to be the person in this, this space. I have to tell them every single detail about everything I know on this subject matter. The guys who get it right, change that. They take a step back and they ask themselves, well, it's not about me and what I know and what my knowledge of the subject is. It's about them. 
and what they want to hear and how they want to hear it. And actually, if I get one key message across, if I tell a couple of jokes and wrap it all up in a story, that is probably going to be 10 times more effective than me lecturing and stuffing in as much information as I possibly can. But it's a really common mistake and it feels counterintuitive to have a less is more approach, but it's so much more effective. And I, I don't know if you're familiar with Hans Rosling, but he was this brilliant Swedish economics yes. professor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Isn't he fantastic? Yeah. Yeah. Well, his TED Talks is, is one of the most watched one, isn't it? The, the one he did like 15 years ago or something. He's, he's got a few. But but there, me, there was one, I think the first one that he did like in 2005 or something. And he had like the, these amazing graphics and he would yes. get animated on stage. And, and he was really, uh, it's too bad he's gone now because he was really an incredible presenter. Yeah. For me, he was this example of somebody who knew everything and could have very easily made what he was talking about incredibly boring and incredibly complicated. But instead he realized, he did that thing of going, it's not about me and what I want to say, it's about these guys and how they want to hear information I'm aware it would be very easy for me to overcomplicate. So instead I'm gonna break this down. I'm gonna make this tangible. I'm gonna make this information easy enough for an eight year old child to understand, but not patronizing to an adult audience. And I think for me, his best talk is global population growth box by box. I show that to a lot of my clients because I just think even now it is groundbreaking in the way he was. He just had this brevity to go, all right, I'm not going to show these guys a bar graph. I'm going to pull toys out of boxes and see what happens. And mm -hmm. it is just so compelling to watch. I haven't seen that one. The one I remember was the one where he had those animated graphs and he, show, he showed the different countries. Um, the little where, balls that break yeah, off from each other yeah. like racing horses. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. cool. So I guess that's a question that everyone who will listen to the, this wants answered is, are public speakers born or made? They are absolutely made. Uh, my job wouldn't exist if, it, if they didn't, right? Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's a big assumption that people are born with this or they're not born with this. That's partly true. Some people, of course, have this ability to speak publicly just because of the way they were raised. Perhaps they had a loud family and they had to fight for attention. And so it comes easier to some than others. This is absolutely fundamentally true. However, I have seen people go from, I need to take beta blockers before I go on stage, or I physically throw up before I present to, I'm live in front of an audience of hundreds or thousands of people, and I'm actually feeling good about what I'm presenting. And make no mistake, to get to that level takes an awful lot of hard work and an awful lot of preparation and an awful lot of practice. And at this point, I, I usually like to cite a personal hero of mine, who is, of course, Dolly Parton. And she said this brilliant thing once, which was, it takes an awful lot of money to look this cheap. And weirdly, it's the same thing with public speaking. It takes an awful lot of preparation and practice to look as though you just rocked out of bed, rolled up one morning, stood on stage and delivered a TED Talk. You know, it may look organic, it may look natural, but actually there are months, if not years of work behind what you're seeing. Yeah, it's like sprezzatura in men's fashion, right? Do you know what so that is? is? Sprezzatura? No. It's What's the that? idea that uh, for men that are really into like looking good and being fashionable, uh, that you always have one piece of your outfit that's imperfect. Like everything is super, like well-tailored suit, <laughs> perfect tie, but you might have a cuff button undone or your one strand of hair kind of floating Scrappy around. shoes maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I love that, uh, that analogy. because I think it's, you're right. It takes an awful lot of preparation to look unprepared. 
Um, <laughs> That's totally it. Perfectly imperfect. Yeah. So speaking of that, what what are the most critical skills one would have to have in order to be a decent or even good public speaker? Another great question. And I'm trying to think if I can boil it down to sort of three things almost. I think as opposed to skills, it is a willingness to put yourself out there. <clears throat> I have clients who I've worked with for years And of course, they start at point A and they end up at point B. But all of that takes ongoing practice, ongoing preparation. They don't get there with just me or just them. And they never will. They get there through a willingness to try new stuff in front of live audiences. It's a mm -hmm. bit like stand-up comedians, right? Yeah. The stand-up comedians just practicing his own material in a bedroom and never releasing it on the general public. They've got no idea how it's going to go down. And it's the same with public speaking. You have to be willing to put your... It's, it's exposure therapy, essentially. Mm -hmm. You have to be willing to put yourself out there time after time after time. Sometimes it will go brilliantly well. Sometimes it'll be average. Sometimes, you know, you've messed it up a little bit, but it's that ability to pick yourself back up, put yourself back out there, reflect and go, okay, what did I do well? How mm -hmm. do I do more of that? And how do I repeat the bits that I'm getting right? And how do I take out the bits that, that aren't landing? It's just that ability to pick yourself up, have the brevity to put yourself out there and see what's working. And I, I don't know what skill we call that. Perhaps, perhaps it's resilience. And for yeah. good public speakers, I think that's crucial. And stand-up comedians, if you if you listen to them talking about the crafts, a lot of them will say you have to bomb to become good because bombing is part of the process. And and so you can't expect... I'm not a stand-up comedian. I don't know if I have the guts to do it, but um, you have to be willing to utterly and miserably fail to be able to learn what works and what doesn't. And sometimes a joke that fails one night might work another night just because it's a different audience yeah. or just by tweaking a few words, right? Sometimes that's mm -hmm. all it takes. Um, But you know how to read those audiences, I think, because you can, you get this incredible sense of looking at a room full of people and going, I know what you guys are going to love. And that only comes from experience and exposing yourself to different groups, this kind of almost sixth sense of mm -hmm. what's going to go down well and what you're going to avoid for that night. And it's the same thing with public speaking. You learn how to read a room, you know what they're going to like, and you know what you're going to shift. So you become much more flexible, you become much more able to adapt to the situation. And it's that's only a skill you get by putting yourself out there time after time after time. Yeah. And I think the, the, analogy of exposure therapy is is the right one because if you want to improve anything if you have any kind of phobia a psychologist and psychiatrist will tell you you have to expose yourself a little bit by mm. bit to that phobia and eventually it goes away so i think that's a very good analogy so what would you say are other human activities that contribute to improving public speaking skills if any The ability to watch others, the ability to be curious. So my clients ask that a lot. You know, we come to the end of a session or we come to the end of a workshop and they go, okay, thank you so much, but I want to carry on doing a little bit of homework. I want to carry on doing this. Watch, observe, whether it's watching a politician deliver something in parliament, whether it's watching a stand-up comic get it absolutely right or even get it absolutely wrong, mm -hmm. or even little things, you know, everyone's totally up in arms about uh, Will Smith and the, the slap, the famous slap. I was much more interested in the speech that followed. The more you start to watch these things and the more you start to pull things apart and see what's under the surface, the more you will realize what's going on. So I think there's this ability to reflect on what you're seeing, be curious and be non-judgmental. 
you will start to realize what's happening again the more you watch stuff but be open-minded and see what's working for them and see how you might be able to transfer those skills to yourself there are loads of ted talks you can see there are brilliant public speakers go for all the big names make maybe a list of all the people you think get it right even the people you think get it wrong you know donald trump love him or loathe him has body language that i find absolutely fascinating so yeah. I often watch clips of him and be like, what the heck is going on here? What on earth is he doing with Kim Jong? And it just, I don't know, I'm, I'm not a body language expert, but you will again build a skill just by watching and observing and making an assessment. Yeah, I've been, um, I have a couple of follow-up questions, but to, to bounce on uh, Donald Trump, I've been interested in the art of persuasion. Mm. And I've listened to a few people who are f- pretty familiar with how Trump operates and they say that he's a master persuader. Yeah. And and I think that's a very interesting analogy because a lot of people hate him and it's not to say that I like him either, but as a case study on how people communicate and how per- they persuade each other, it's a fascinating example to watch. It really is. And I know I'm, okay. I might make some enemies saying that, but like aside <laughs> no, no, from we, politics, that is, you know, it's interesting. You, if you take kind of the goody baddie thing out of it, you can really get a bigger insight into what's going on. Mm-hmm. So look at the people you perhaps don't agree with. Look at the people who drive you crazy. You know, we've got Piers Morgan in the UK. I think we've shipped him out to America or, or, or James Corden. He, he's not one for me, but I'm, I'm fascinated by how he does what he does. Mm-hmm. And I think to go back to Donald Trump, his body language is really stylized. It's my belief that he has been working on something. What it is, I couldn't tell you, but he, he does really interesting gestures. He will double point. Yeah. British politicians will never double point because in our culture, that's that's seen as borderline offensive. You know, mm-hmm. please don't point at me. That's terribly yeah. rude. Yeah. So we do this closed point. Yeah, he does which, this too. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's ineffective. Uh, and the other thing he does is you'll occasionally see him do this and say the word China, China, mm-hmm. like he's pinching China. He's crushing it down yeah. in the palm of his hand. I put money on the fact that that's deliberate. Oh, hundred percent so, is. Yeah, yeah. No question. None of anything he does is is not well thought out. I don't think as much as people want to think that he's a bumbling idiot and doesn't know what he's doing. Um, I think it's quite the opposite. Again, whether you like him or not, that's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, so well, you, Hillary Clinton, you know, in the debates, yeah. her body language is fascinating as well. Let's look mm-hmm. at the flip side of that. It, it got to a point where I was watching the uh, political debates between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump mm-hmm. and then watching the Saturday Night Live parodies. <laughs> and, you know, I didn't find the parodies funny at all because they were just too close to the truth. Yeah. And if you'd taken a space alien from another planet, landed them on Earth and made them watch clips and go, which of these people do you think are comedians and which do you think <laughs> these people are actual politicians? I think they would have rightly struggled because the, the lines were very, very fine. But Hillary has this kind of, you know, she has this Cheshire cat smile. Yeah. even when, And it's not, it doesn't show that vulnerability that I'm looking mm-hmm. for. Even when she's talking about things that offer her an opportunity to open up a little bit more, go a little bit deeper, she's got this smile and it mm-hmm. doesn't fade, Donald, doesn't fade. And you will often see her when she enters the studio, smile and point at people and nod and recognize faces in the audience. And, you know, I don't think there's anyone there. (laughs) I think she's just like, look, my body language shows that I'm friendly. I'm personable. I'm smiling. I know these people. These people are my friends. They're connected to me. Meanwhile, Donald is totally focused on his enemy. He's really like some guy Mm -hmm. going into war. And frankly, Saturday Night Live could have gone further. (laughs) Well, in these days, uh, politicians are often funnier than comedians. Oh, I know. so you mentioned, I want to go back to what you briefly touched on regarding the Will Smith slap. You said mm-hmm. what you were more interested in the, the 
speech after that? Which speech was that? And why were you more interested in that? So the, the slap was a big thing. And yeah. obviously the media are still going nuts about it days down the line. But Will Smith then had to give an Oscar acceptance speech. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a really interesting situation. Imagine if he hadn't won, it just would have been a slap. And a slap is just one gesture. But he now has to address the elephant in the room. He has to make his speech and he does it with tears pouring down his face. And again, I'm not a body language expert, so I don't want anyone sat at home listening to this, taking my, my word as gospel. I wondered if it was true. I wondered if it was false. I wondered how much was put on. There was an awful lot of emotion. And it was. Mm-hmm. It seemed to be a very conflicted feeling he was expressing. And to me, that is much more interesting than, than, than just a slap, this kind of conflict that you, you saw going through his face. So if you saw the slap, I definitely, definitely recommend just tuning into the speech as well and seeing whether you uh, find it authentic or not. Yeah, and I was reading uh, the newsletter from Mark Manson this morning, who was his ghostwriter on the... Um, his memoir that came out last fall. And he was saying that he wrote the book with Will Smith on the condition that Will Smith uh, would agree to be vulnerable and like more open about his life than just being like a, a fluff. Yeah. Piece. yeah. Um, and that was very interesting because I haven't read the book, but it made me want to read it. So that was a brilliant piece of marketing because he used a piece of news to sell his book, which is clever. But yeah. um make me want to read it because I want to hear about the life and trials and tribulations of Will Smith now that I've kind of uh, <laughs> gone in a, a little piece of it. You know, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, maybe I'll get the audio book. I don't know. <laughs> um, so to go back to public speaking, because that's the topic at hand, are you a proponent of loose preparation or word for word rehearsal? <laughs> I think there's a middle ground there, right? Mm-hmm. The more prepared you are, the better and the more confident you are going to feel. And for a lot of my clients, when they get to the top of their game, that's all I am. I'm just a personal trainer. I just hold them accountable to practice, practice, practice. Mm-hmm. If you commit yourself to a script, if you memorize a script, if you go fully off the auto cue, you are going to lose so much personality, so much spontaneity. All of those things that I talked about earlier, those jokes, those little flashes of excitement, that ability to kind of go off piece with it, So I would never, ever try and get a client to learn a script. Know where you're going with it. Reduce it down to bullet points. Practice, practice, practice. And remember, no draft will sound the same in the run-up to the delivery. When the adrenaline's going through you, you will deliver a version of another good draft. If you maintain that ability to be like, okay, I have my baseline here. I know roughly what I want to say, but I've, I've now got this ability to just play with the audience. I can build a bit of rapport. I can come off script and I feel good about that. That is when you will absolutely fly with this stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I would um, draw a parallel with uh, jazz improv- improvisation. Yeah. Because the way yeah. I was trained to do public speaking, uh, and that was a decade and a half ago, so it was a while back, but I remember to this day because it's such a fantastic uh, university course that I took. The teacher told us to have a bullet point script as minimal as right. you can yeah. and then rehearse, 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 and that you would never deliver the same presentation twice. It would always be a variation thereof, but the more you rehearsed, the more confident you'd be. And then you have to do all the things like using your body to express yourself and looking at the audience and kind of pacing around. So you're not like a static robot and a bunch of other things. I couldn't things. agree with that more. I think that's a really good way of doing it. Um, and it works. It works because you're not beholden to 
word for word script. And if you go off script, you can always catch yourself uh, and come exactly. back to, and that also allows room for like jokes and pauses and things. So I, yeah, I, it makes is. sense to me. Um, what are, what is your take on meditation? <laughs> I saw that question. I thought, I bet that one's going to come up. I have a personality which really struggles with meditation. There is just too much going on. But I think what I would endorse, perhaps, which is a part of meditation, is breathing. Mm -hmm. If meditation works for you, if meditation clears your mind, then I am impressed by you. I, I take my hat off to you. I really do, because I've, I've tried it a couple of times and it's, it's, it's just not for me. I'll, I'll do a crossword, maybe. That's, that's my equivalent. But if you are nervous, if you have the adrenaline coursing through you and you really just need to take the edge off of that, there is no better physical exercise than doing the type of breathing exercises you would get during meditation or a yoga session. Mm -hmm. You really just want to get that breath really slow and low and steady. And that is going to send a really clear message to your body that there is nothing to panic about. There is nothing to be frightened of. And that's just going to get you back to a really calm place. So medita meditation isn't for me. If it works for you, fantastic. The common denominator I found within meditation is breathing. Get that right, and it will give you a really good foundation to present from. Mm -hmm. So going back to my uh, public speaking training, um, mm. the coach I had at the time referred to the body as an instrument to be tuned. What are your, your thoughts on that? Well, what, what do you think? I think your, your speaking coach you mentioned was a she. What, what do you think she meant by tuning? Well, like you would tune an instrument, like, uh, you know, if, if you have a piano and you don't tune it for 10 years, it's going to sound awful. So you have to make sure that every string is, has a right amount of tension. So when you play, it sounds the way it should, it should sound. So to me, uh, body is the same. You have to, you know, breathing. We just talked about that body language, um, interaction with the audience, the way you talk, your pace, all those things are the strings of that instrument that needs to be tuned. That's how I, I perceived it. But you just totally flipped that question back on me, didn't you? I know, I've made you answer the question. I like, a bit like a politician, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, kudos to you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> yes and no. The more you do something, the better you will get at it. The more you practice, the better you will be, the more improvement you will see. The more you present, the less frightened you will be of it. So if you are doing this day in, day out, it just won't hold so much of a fear factor for you. There is a worry amongst my clients at the moment. A lot of people are calling me up going, well, I've only just gotten my head around presenting online, presenting on Zoom, presenting on Teams, and now I'm in my comfort zone. And just as I've gotten in my comfort zone, I now have to go back into real life and I've forgotten how to do it. I don't know how to be in front of a, a live audience. Mm -hmm. And my answer to that is this. I see it less as perhaps an instrument, more, more like a car. If you stop driving for two years, you wouldn't get back in a car, sit there and go, well, I've got no idea what to do here. You might feel a bit rusty, but I think the muscle memory would kick in. And if you were driving just two years ago, of course, you'd be able to do it again. You might perhaps forget where a few buttons are and what to do, but it would eventually come back to you. Mm -hmm. But if the question is, do I need to warm up? Do I need to stay practicing? Do I need to make sure I'm, I'm tuning up? Absolutely. As much as you can, the more you do something, the better you will be at it. And that is just one of the core facts of life. That's great. Uh, so we're on to the last couple of questions for today. Um, can you tell us about a favorite client? 
do you know, I was thinking about this and I have a couple and they know each other. So I have to be careful. And they have two very different styles. Well, just no names. And I think of they'll course. be okay. No, I wouldn't dare. I wouldn't want them to recognize them. I wouldn't want them to be flattered. <laughs> One of them is so dedicated to public speaking. Uh, they've done a TEDx talk and I think they really caught the bug and they had a message to put out there and they're still putting out that message. And they have gone from someone who was just a relatively shy, inexperienced speaker to someone who now delivers that message in front of thousands of people and gets such incredible responses from their audience. The reason I like this individual is they take it so seriously. They're mm. fun to work with, but that kind of dedication is the sort of dedication I will reciprocate. So I will also be up until midnight, tweaking scripts, rewriting, working things out with them. The other client is the absolute opposite of that. They are this CIO of a company that is worth billions. And they have this couldn't care less attitude that I think 98% of my clients would pay serious amounts of money to have. When I say couldn't care less, I don't mean he doesn't care about his work and he doesn't care about uh, his professional ability. He cares about this absolutely, but he is so willing to just surprise people uh, or play a, a pop song in the middle. And he's just so unassuming and you would never expect it from this mild-mannered individual and he will really just do something that shocks his audience sometimes he's he reminds me slightly of Hans Rosling in the way you're not expecting this kind of eccentric old Swedish professor to start messing around with airplanes and flip-flops he's kind of of that vibe because he just has this I've got a message and I don't really care what an audience thinks of me and if you can accomplish that trick you, you barely need my help frankly because public speaking just becomes something you want to do for the fun of it it's, those are very interesting stories. Um, <laughs> any last thoughts you'd like to share with the audience, uh, knowing that this is going to go primarily to people in the architecture and design industry? Less is more. Less is always more. And it's so easy for me to say that and so hard to do. But I think in both of those industries, there comes a moment where you can no longer see the wood for the trees. And you do this thing of over explaining and over explaining and this less is more approach is, is always going to put you in a good place. If you can reduce your messages to something that just has one key message, a personal story, or even a case study about a client or something you've done for somebody previously, wrap that all up in a clear call to action. And if that takes you under 10 minutes for your next presentation, fantastic. Focus on feelings first and facts second, and you will find that that simplicity just comes through. So you know you're going to make a lot of friends by saying less is more because I don't know if you know this, but that was coined by a very famous architect named Mies van der Rohe. I must have thought that through. Uh, and uh, he's actually my favorite all-time architect because he was a true genius. Um, and he's the one who came up with that uh, that idiom. So kudos to you for that. That was a brilliant Thank one. you. Well, he's absolutely right. Less is always more. So uh, where can people follow you or get in touch if they're interested in talking to you and, uh, and how would you like them to do that? I would love them to just say hello on LinkedIn. They can follow me. They can connect with me. I'm very friendly. They can drop me a comment, drop me a message, whatever you like. But LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. And my name is Susie Ashfield and it's spelt exactly how you'd imagine it's spelt, which is a relief for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, <laughs> thank you very much, Susie. It was uh very interesting conversation and I look forward to the next one. Thank you so much. I enjoyed that. Hey, Arno here. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and that you'll come back for more. 
please share with your friends and colleagues and remember to subscribe on our website at rvltr.studio. Until next time, ciao.